this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Hello! Howdy! Hi, everybody. Sam Goodman, the Hot Nerd, bringing you another episode of the Hot Nerd Podcast. Before we jump into today's episode, do me a favor. Head over to the website, www.thehotnerd.com. You can find all kinds of cool stuff over there. I added a resource page for all these like little snippet videos I've been putting out on LinkedIn, which if you have not seen them, you should go follow along with me on LinkedIn, Sam Goodman. We have a Hot Nerd page and stuff there as well. But look for this ugly mug. You can find me there. You can get into contact with me there. And where I was going with this is you could listen and watch all this really cool little bits of content that I've been trying to piece together and share with you over there. But where I was going even farther, with this is there's a resource tab on the website and those little videos you can download them you can take them you can use them as you see fit and, and that's it i just thought it was cool i wanted people to be able to download these things and i've got to like give a big shout out to uh to the awesome the amazing clive lloyd because i posted one of these and then one of the comments is like hey where can people download this i'm like that's a really great idea so everyone go tell clive thank you because this was totally <laughs> His idea to make these things available for download. Get into contact, thehopnerd at gmail.com. You can use the handy dandy contact form over on the website as well. There's tons and tons and tons of ways to get a hold of me. There is my phone number, all kinds of stuff. You can click there on the website to book some time if you want to catch up or kind of chat about human and organizational performance. Or if you want to get some time with me on your calendar, you can do all of that stuff there. The calendar is filling up fast. I've got some events coming up towards the end of this year that I'll let you guys know about hopefully you can get some time come meet me come hang out with me in person that's going to be a lot of fun and it's starting to book out into 2023 which is kind of kind of crazy to me but it's it's there so all that kind of stuff going around doing human and organizational performance fundamentals talking about learning teams doing learning teams all that kind of cool stuff that we do in this world of trying to do safety just a little a little bit better trying to make it suck just a little bit less so if you need some help with that you know how to get a hold of me on today's episode this is our first interview in a minute, which is kind of cool. I'm starting to do some interviews. I've got some more planned. I've got some that I've been working on. Before we jump in, I've got to tell you, I've not done interviews in a while. So please bear with me. I've moved the studio, right? Most of you know this. I've moved the studio. Um, we moved into a new house, like this whole thing, a whole new kind of setup, new technology, and I'm, I'm figuring it out. Let me let me let me just say that I'm I'm figuring it out. So the audio is a little bit wonky, but well worth it. Let, let me let me just say well worth it because the conversation today is with the amazing, the awesome Elisa Lynch. So I'm gonna shut up. Other than other than I have to uh, I have to throw this in here because Elisa, my daughter Avery wanted me to throw this in here, and I thought no better way than to throw it right here into the podcast. She came into the studio while I was editing some of these clips, working on some of the video stuff, and she wanted me to pass along that she loved your nails. So there you go. You, 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 you got the full on Avery May Goodman approval. She's like, those are like the coolest fingernails I've ever seen. So there you go. We're going to jump right in. Here we go, everybody. Elisa Lynch. Welcome. That's probably, let me be all official podcasting here. Welcome. Thank you for coming. This is awesome. It's, it's good to finally get to, uh, get to chat with you. Um, for those folks out there that that may have not seen you on all those podcasts that we were just talking about before I hit the record button, um, who are you? Who am I? Who is Elisa Lynch? <laughs> Deep and um, meaningful questions with Sam. I don't know, Sam. Who am I? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, my name is Elisa Lynch. Um, I have been 
playing in the safety profession for nearly a decade now. Um, I'm based in West Cork in Ireland. It is fucking pissing rain outside right now. Standard for, you know, June, middle of summer. Loving it. Um, and yeah, I mostly have worked in construction, dabbled in pharma a little bit for a while. And yeah, I don't know how I just ended up on some podcasts and stuff. <laughs> I, um, and here you are. And, and here I am now in another one. I'm like, Jesus, people really want to hear me rabbiting on and swearing and stuff. It seems to be people are into it. That's what, that's what it is. It's the accent and the swearing, I think. <laughs> they, go, they go together quite nicely. I'm, I'm not going to lie. They, 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 they fit well together. It's better than my swearing and my kind of redneck southern drawl. That, uh, <laughs> it, it doesn't sound quite as, quite as nice. <laughs> Well, see, to me it does, because to me you have an accent. So. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I get Texas a lot. When people talk to me, they're like, what part of Texas are you from? I'm like, I've never lived in Texas in my entire life. I have no clue what, what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing against Texas. It's, it's a fun place. I've, I've been there quite a bit of recently. But, uh, yeah, that's not where this comes from. This is hillbilly, as we would hillbilly. say here. This is hillbilly accent. Rural Appalachian. <laughs> in the Appalachian, mountains. Appalachian, yeah. like Dolly Parton. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I was basically born in a coal mine, drinking moonshine, listening to Dolly Parton. That's basically. Do you know what? That sounds like good crack. That's good fun. <laughs> I used to go to Dollywood as a kid. So the well, I would love Parton to go to Dollywood all the time. It's amazing. So if you haven't been, you totally should. Smoky Mountains, Dollywood, all that kind of sort of stuff. Definitely. I've, actually, I've never been to America. Worth, so. worth the venture. There's your reason. Right there. Well, look, Come to Dollywood, leave, go nowhere else. That's the, that's, that's look, the highlight of America. Yeah. <laughs> sounds good to me. <laughs> So you found your way into safety. What 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 took you in that direction? What what brought you to this wacky, and it is wacky, it this is wacky. wacky job that that we do? Um, I'd like to say it was something like really altruistic or whatever, but it wasn't. It was money. Um, mm-hmm. Got some bills to pay. So I was living in Sydney in Australia, and I was working in traffic management. So I was standing on the road with my stop go bat at traffic. Roadworks, doing that for a while, yeah. and I kind of moved up the ranks, and I was in a management role, doing that. And funny at the time, we never considered what we were doing was actually a safety function. Like that was our whole raison d'être, right. doing the traffic management. But at the time, we were like, it's nothing to do with safety. Um, and it was kind of the done thing. A lot of people that I knew who had been working in similar role, they were like, oh, I just got my safety qualification and upped my earnings by like 40 grand. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go do that. That's what I'm going to do. Let's give that a shot. <laughs> let's, let's, <laughs> yeah. Yes, please. Um, and it's actually like the barriers for entry into safety over in Australia are quite low. Um, I did like a five day online diploma course thing and, and I was away. That was it. There did an go. interview, and got a job. Were- you were the safety person. And right? I was the safety person standing on like the 17th floor of a high-rise construction site going, shit, I don't know what they're doing tying this steel, but looks cool to me. Um, give me a spin of the crane. So that was it. Yeah, I found myself asking those same questions. Like, can I drop that? And they're like, no, yeah, I can, 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 cannot drop that. Yeah, they didn't let me drive. I was just on a project not that long ago where they were doing demo with, the, with this thing that they called the claw, right? And it's this massive, like, 
gargantuan thing that they're ripping down structure with that has like this integrated saw grappling hook like water jets and i'm like i want to drive that and they're like no (laughs) not a chance not a chance like can i just do like one spin can i just sit in it no never you're never never gonna happen never gonna happen (laughs) so you found your way into safety and you're kind of working through that and and having a blast i'm sure right getting to experience all the things that you get to experience as a new safety practitioner right trying to figure out all the challenges and navigate through all that stuff all that stuff that we learn when we first start in this profession because i started in a similar way like nowadays it seems like people are like okay i went to school and i've got like 17 degrees in safety and now i'm going to become a safety person i did like this whole planned out thing Mm. um, which is good i'm not saying that that's bad but there's still a lot of folks that find their way to this profession kind of the same way that probably you and i did I found my way into it kind of by accident. It's kind of the same, similar story where it's like, oh, that's a thing? I didn't know that that's a job. But yeah, like for <laughs> sure, I'll, I'll, I'll give that a shot. And you probably went through all that kind of normal learning curve that you kind of have and learning through doing or learning by doing and mm-hmm. earning all those calluses that you earn and ass chewings that you earn and in the yep. beginnings of this profession and people beating you up and all, all the fun stuff, all the fun stuff. But more, I'll say more recently, I, I don't know how, I don't know where your journey kind of started with maybe doing safety differently. Where, how did you find your way into maybe that? I think that's always an interesting story how folks find their way into safety differently or hop or whatever the hell yeah. we want to call it. Right. Doing and safety that doesn't suck. Maybe is probably the doing safety that doesn't <laughs> suck. <laughs> that should be the new phrase. Um, but I, well, when I had just gone into safety, I was kind of Googling and looking for stuff. I think I was actually looking for, I don't know, toolbox talks or safety slogans or some shite like that. And I ended up on um, safetyrisk.net, which is uh, one of the Australian blogs on safety. And they actually, um, they really aggressively take down safety on that website, kind of the traditional yeah. approach to safety. And so I'd been reading that kind of stuff, which was, which actually made it quite difficult then to be doing my job because it was telling me that everything I was doing was wrong, but obviously the company and the management I was yeah. working for were like, oh, this is how you do it. And I was like, this is that absolute head fuck. And, um, yeah. Yeah. and then I, so I kind of, I had done, I went to like a workshop with um, run by Daniel Hummerdahl who was, I suppose, one of the founders of Safety Differently. And at the time, that was probably back 2015 or 16. And I just thought it was raving. I was like, this shit is never going to catch on. This is ridiculous. <laughs> like, <laughs> lol, <laughs> as if. And, um, but it mm-hmm. obviously, it planted a seed. And so it was always in the back of my mind of, I don't like my job. I don't like how we approach things. I don't like how people get treated within yeah. safety in the construction company I was, I was, I was working with. Um, and I just couldn't, I couldn't resolve it in my mind. So I actually quit safety for a while. I was like, fuck it, I'm out. This is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I moved back home to Ireland and literally could not get a job doing anything else. <laughs> I applied for everything else and they were like, you're a safety person. I was like, no. <laughs> but um, <laughs> so I ended up, yeah just going back into a safety advisor role for a construction company and definitely didn't expect to come across any safety differently stuff here and then I was at um, an IOSH conference and they had people there speaking about it I was like oh this is taking hold here well not really taking hold but there's a little niche of people right who are interested in it and 
around that my boss at the time was kind of like, would you do a bit of networking? Would you, you know? I was like, oh, I don't want to. Like, I don't want to talk to other safety people. <laughs> I don't want to do any of it. But I Most did it. Most safety people are boring, right? It's oh really God, hard. It's like, like pulling teeth going to some of these safety conferences, right? I mean, just to be honest. It's like, okay, work. I get it. Like, holding handrails is important. I understand. And it's like, <laughs> like we can talk about something else. Like, there's something else. <laughs> we can just be normal for a second. We're not at work. We cannot yeah. be safety people for like five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I was resisting the networking for, for a big bit. But, um, <laughs> but then I kind of, I, start, I think I randomly found James McPherson's podcast. And I reached yeah. out to him and uh, had been listening to Rebranding Safety and then just started consuming more of the content, connecting with more people, getting more involved in LinkedIn. And it just kind of went from there. And then I actually started to not hate my job. <laughs> now, I was yeah. lucky at the time I was working for a, a company who were very open to it. They were like, hey, yeah, you want to do some stuff? Do some stuff. So I was lucky in that That's regard. Awesome. Yeah, it was cool, to be fair. They, well, I kind yeah. of, like, I did the whole burst into the boardroom of, like, oh, guys, we need to do safety differently. <laughs> and they were like, oh, Jesus, what is this? And I think because I was so hyped, they were like, right, just go do what you need to do. Get it out of your system. <laughs> so, yeah. but um, And that's kind of, I suppose, yeah, it was just through linking up with like-minded people and consuming the similar content. And definitely at the time, I would have been like, I don't want to be friends with safety people. But yeah. Now, yeah. now I'm actually like really good friends with lots of really fucking cool safety people. So like, Yeah, it's different now, right? It's way it's different. It's different now. Yeah. It's way different now. Yeah. Now I'm like, hey, let's go on the beer. Let's, like, I've had like, safety people fly over from England, and we go on the beer. It was like, brilliant. And then I flew over there, and we went on the beer there. And it's great. <laughs> It's it was so different and, and it's so different now and so what you're telling or what you're saying to me is, is it it sounds so familiar so familiar because I like I have flashbacks and I've written about this couple times but I have these like flashbacks to like those horrific moments as a safety practitioner where I, exact moment where like I'm working for a company that is as traditional and I, I grew up in traditional safety as you probably did it sounds mm, like yeah where I, I grew up with like old school traditional safety be better try harder beat people kind of command and control safety and that's how we get better right accidents happen because people are stupid right that that kind of that kind of old school and excuse me they accidents that word was not allowed it's incidents right because accidents <laughs> oh, yes we don't never, have there's no such thing incidents. as accidents right mm -mm. To, to, even to that point right so i remember that i remember st like standing there at a function where we're like barbecuing stuff and we've got like we're standing in front of a banner for a picture that's like zero is possible we've like this company that I worked for way back when they even had a zero man mascot that was like this little space alien guy that's like had like a zero shirt zero on man. Like, they went over the top zero man yeah like this whole you know you know what you've, you've seen this stuff you know exactly mm. what I'm talking about you come up from yeah. construction and kind of that yeah. kind of large scale construction contractor kind of stuff and I just remember standing there going, what a bunch of bullshit. Like, it just hits you, right? It just kind of hits you that everything that, that you have learned is a lie, <laughs> right? And, and kind of early early on in your in your journey, especially when you're new to safety, I know for me, I'm like, it never quite made sense, right? Because as people, those approaches, we just kind of know. Like, they're, they're kind of dumb. Like, we, mm. we just feel it. But when you're new and kind of first starting in that role, it's like, who am I? Like, who am I to challenge? Like, this dude that's been doing this, this person that's been doing this, they've been doing this for 30 freaking years, and they're telling mm. me that this is, the, this is the right way. This company that's been around for 150 years, 
that generally they don't kill people. They're pretty good at not killing people most of the time, right? They're telling me that this is the way. Like, it, it, who am I to question? Who am I, who am I to challenge? But that wears thin pretty quick. Yeah. And eventually you're like, no, this is crazy. So I found myself in a similar situation where I, I was going to leave. I was ready to leave. Had a colleague that's like, don't leave, read this book. And he brought me a copy of uh, Sydney's Safety Differently, which is not the right book to start with if you're going to read about Safety Differently because it's kind of dense. Mm. And uh, even when I've talked to him on the podcast before, um, he even said, he's like, why did you start with that one? That's a really <laughs> thick book. <laughs> you know, not, not, the, not the one to start with, you know. But it, it set my kind of world on fire because I'm like, oh, it's not just me. Like, I thought I was yeah. crazy. I think that's where I felt. And James, James McPherson, I love James. I love rebranding safety, all, everything he's got going on, too. I think he was in a similar position from the chats I've had with him where he's like, you feel like you're, you feel like you're, you're the only one having these thoughts. And you're like, I'm fucking insane. Mm-hmm. Like, I think yeah. I'm crazy. I just have to be out there. Everyone else is telling me that what I'm thinking is, is insane. And then when you find kind of the Decker stuff, the Conklin stuff, and you start kind of digging back in and you start, you realize how old and how deep a lot of these kind of thoughts go. Yeah. It finally goes in. Someone else has already put it into words. You're not crazy. You're not insane. And then you start connecting with other safety folks that are like, we're well, not crazy. We're not insane. It's honestly, God, it's, it's like this job. It's like this job fucking gaslights you for the first however long right. until, until you yeah. meet some people that are on the same wavelength. Um, and like it's and what's worse is like because for a while I like I did I was I mean, when I started first because you're surrounded by people doing it this traditional way and definitely in construction which is like I'm speaking through that lens but in construction it's very much like if you're on the client side so if you're the main contractor or the client if you're on their side it's very much like fuck the subby and there's this level, there's, even outside of safety, there's a level of arrogance of like, well, we're the main contractor, so you'll fucking do what right. we say, and we will hammer the shit out of you in the meeting rooms. And our quantity ser- surveyors are absolutely going to rip you a new one on price. Right. And, and on Fridays, you will bring us pizzas for our toolbox talks. You will bring us right. beers when we ask you. Like, it's, uh, it's absolutely, it's yeah. vile. Like, it's disgusting behavior. But when you're around it all the time, you actually, like it does start, if you're not really strong-willed, it can start to rub off and you start to be a dick as For well. Sure. And like, I reflect back and I think some really dickish moments. I'm like, oh, that's embarrassing. That's, Same. you know, it's yeah, so I've, embarrassing. I've so, so similar, you know, I've been on both sides of that equation, you know, as a client, as a, the large contractor, as the teeny contractor. And I mean, Anyone that has that tells you that they've not been a complete ass at some point is lying to you, mm. right? Because you do, you, you, that rubs off on you. You're like, no, I'm the client. Like, yeah, just I'm do what I tell client. you to do. Like, what are you, damn dirty contractor? What are you going to tell me about? What are you going to, I'm the client, you know? Yeah, but the minute you go with Sobby's side, the minute you go to the contractor side, it's a completely different vibe. The camaraderie is like, I, I've much more enjoyed not being the client. Yeah. So I was like, well, oh, we're it's, actually it's nice that. people. <laughs> What, what I, what I kind of felt kind of in that side and the contractor side is that like, especially with those projects that were extremely challenging, dealing with difficult clients, long hours, it's like this kind of st- togetherness and suffering. There is, there is. You know, is. that kind of it's pulls like you weird. tighter. Just like, man, this sucks, but I would, if I'm going to be here, I would, I would, I don't want to be here with anyone else other than you guys. Yeah, we're this all here. The, in this yeah. shitty little side office, ergonomics out the in fucking window. Mi- yeah. 
sitting in on a, a plastic in our chair. Mod trailer, yeah. Yeah, yeah and it's just like we're the underdogs. The shitty floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. So, and you know, as you say that, I think that's something that really stands out to me re- recently as I've, I've seen that because, you know, I, I'm around a lot of kind of, you, you name it. I mean, whether it's you think any kind of client organization that employs contractors, and that's where a lot of them are kind of struggling. Even the ones that are really, 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 really good at doing safety differently, mm. they're struggling with how do you carry that over to your relationships with your contractors because they're still using those kind of old school metric driven mechanisms to determine how they award work, how they pay out to their contractors, rewards, all these different things. It's still very much, at least here stateside, it's still like, here's your, what's your TRR? How, how, what, what's mm. your incident rate? And if, that, if that's above what your industry average is, then we're not going to give you the work. We're going to give it to so-and-so that's lower. Yeah. And there's a lot of disparity in that because mom and pop contractor that had one one incident that would be considered recordable now blows that metric, but large scale 20,000 plus employee contractor that can have thousands of those and it mm. not impact that, that score now is always awarded work when this particular contractor would have been probably the best one for the job. They're local, they're around the street and they know everybody. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It, it seems wacky that we're struggling with how we, uh, it seems wacky that we're not wanting to maybe change that side of it as quickly as we started to change the internal stuff. Because I think a lot of the, and again, I'm just speaking from the contractors and the clients that I spend a lot of time around. Most of them, um, they're pretty mature in their journeys. And it's, so I'm not talking new. Like if, if your company's brand new to this stuff, yeah, you're probably attacking your contractor relationship piece. I was probably last. You got to fix your own house first before you can mm-hmm. kind of start to go out and have that conversation. But for a lot of these companies that are more mature, they, there's still a resistance to avoid it, which is kind of strange to me. Yeah, for sure. And it, but even with all those kind of prequal documents and what are your stats? Like, what are your stats? Just tell me what we want to hear. I don't want to hear your real stats. <laughs> then most people right. don't give their real stats or else you're not going to no. get the work. So it's just this, oh, it's all a fallacy. It's ridiculous. Well, and, uh, you know, it sounds like you've been on that contract. So, you know, like we get really, really good at numbers. We get Dude, it's very a, it's good a, at numbers. It's, right? a it's an art form. Art. It is an art form. <laughs> yeah. It's an art form. With, with all those, uh, with, with your experiences with um, safety in general and now kind of in this more um, new view space, I'm throwing out all the labels so no one gets mad Look, at me for missing one. So use I've, all the I've labels. Safety differently. It, I've hit hop and now I said new view. So the only one I think is left is maybe safety two. That's probably safety the next two, one I'll throw in. So just yeah. FYI, I'm, I'm covering everybody. Everybody safety that wants to call 15, it something different. Whatever, all of them. <laughs> whatever all we want to call it. But with that, with kind of learning all that stuff and then kind of bringing that into organizations um, after you stormed into the boardroom and you started going down this path, for those folks that haven't done this, what were some of the biggest challenges that you maybe faced kind of along the way or are facing? Um, I think the biggest challenge was, I guess, given my location, like rural Ireland, it's like, well, who else is doing this? Like, yeah, no, no one, no one. Um, and what is it that you want to do? I'm not exactly sure. I just know I want to do something. Um, so it's that kind of being able to come up with, I suppose, a not so much concrete, but like a, 
a clear strategy and be able to say, well, okay, we're gonna do this and then we're gonna do this and then we're gonna do this, like a, like a normal safety strategy. Whereas going into a board and being like, so how do you guys feel about the word emergent? And they'd be like, sorry, what? <laughs> so it's, you know, that's, those are the challenges because it's trying to, I got so hyped that I was trying to sell something that I didn't fully understand myself. Right. And trying to convince them to come along on this journey of like micro experiments and they're like, what kind? I was like, I don't know, I'll go ask some questions. They were like, what? I was like, humble inquiry, guys. And they were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and they're like, you want to like, just ask questions when you're out on a sidewalk? Like, okay. So those were the challenges of, I felt like there was nowhere that could show me how to do it. There's lots of theories, right. there's lots of papers, there's all this stuff, but it's the how-to. And I guess for me, I still haven't seen the how-to. I don't know that right. it exists. Um, I think you have to really internalize all the stuff you learn, reflect it and go, how can I apply it? Forget about what other people are doing or what other people might have done. You just have to start giving it a go yourself. Um, yeah. in the context of the business that you're in. And yeah. that yeah. will look different for everyone. And that, I know that's a shit answer, but that is the answer. It's like, sorry, that's the answer. Is There is no silver bullet. There's no one way to do it. And there's no... And the other thing is you can't... Like, I definitely, that day that I burst into the boardroom like a knob, they were like, oh, so we're getting rid of everything? We're doing everything different? I was like, no, God, no. And that's not <laughs> what I ever meant. Um, so we're like we're actually keeping nearly everything. We're just going to what I would say is pick something like one process, pick one process or one incident that you've had, and just go deep on that, and keep doing yeah. everything else as normal, and just just give it a go. So whether that is how we review method statements, whether that is an actual task on the ground with the lads, or you know whether that is okay this event. Like, this might have been six months ago, but what did we actually learn? Let's get those people actually who were involved back in the room and ask different questions this time in a kind of a, yeah. this incident, by the way, is, is it's closed off and we've done a corrective actions, blah, blah, blah. But let's revisit it in a kind of a, a I suppose, a safer space that it's okay right. to ask questions and, and look at it slightly differently. That would be my advice. Yeah, that's that's huge because... I agree with you. I think that that acknowledgement is hard. It's it's easier it's easier for us. It's it's easier for us because we know that the biggest chunk of what we're talking about here is accepting that the safety of work is complex, mm. right? And trying to overly simplify it that gets us back to maybe the ways that we've approached traditional safety in a lot of ways. It's like it's super easy. You just like you you set some rules and you shit can people that don't follow those rules, and then if they get hurt, it was their fault. You know, I, and I, I know, I know that I know I'm, I'm going to get a lot of hate mail, which I already get. I'm going to get a lot of hate mail for picking up my traditional safety friends out there. Um, I and I know I it's not that simple. I know it's not technically that simple, but that's how most large companies apply it. We pretend that it's that they don't, yeah. but they do, right? Um, so to be able to like carry that in and say, I don't have that same piece of paper that that maybe we have in more traditional approaches that say, yeah, you just do one, two, three, four, five part A, B, C, and D, and then you have safety. I don't have that. That takes a lot of kind of courage on whoever's bringing that into the organization to be willing to, uh, you know, take on that risk to be like, I'm going to tell you something crazy, but let's do things a little differently. And I don't have a complete plan, 
But part of the plan is that we don't have a plan, right? Because that's, that's the, that's the challenge when you're bringing in any of those kind of different concepts is that as a practitioner, your fear is, is that you don't want it to be another safety program. You don't want it to be another plan because you're, you're digging in deeper and you're really trying to challenge the, the, the uh, uh, deeper assumptions that the organization has because all those programs and plans and all the other stuff are just artifacts of those assumptions and beliefs mm. anyways, right? You're trying to dig in and, and get them to really think differently about things. And so there's, a, there's, there's probably the right way, right? So people listen, I'm doing my air quote thing here. There's probably <laughs> the right way where you go in and it, normal change management kind of stuff, right? Where you go in and you garner leadership support and you get, you know, an executive sponsor and you do all this kind of normal stuff. Um, and then you go forward and you start to socialize it and you maybe start to do some training and, you, you know, the normal kind of change mm. management stuff that we do. And sometimes that works. But yep. I really appreciate your point on this this kind of thing where it's like you got to go into your organization. Look, where are we at? What do we do that's closest to this? Let's keep doing that stuff. What are the things that we need to like stop right now? And can we? And then let's just kind of figure and feel our way through it because it is complex. It's complicated. It's, yeah. it's hard. And I've seen several organizations that have done it the opposite way where they start at the bottom or they start in the middle because they have very resistant leadership maybe up through their organization. And so they find those areas where it's like, no, like let's try to do things a little differently. Yeah, we're gonna follow the rules, we're gonna follow the procedures. If we have to do RCAs or ACAs, like we're gonna do those, but instead of just doing that, we're gonna do a learning team right beside of them. Yeah. And there's nothing that says we can't do learning teams. It just tells me I have to do an RCA. (laughs) So maybe maybe I'll do the learning team and then put it in the RCA form. Right. And you kind of figure these workarounds yeah. to show success, right. To, to kind of demonstrate, you find those bright spots and then you're kind of growing those bright spots. And then finally those folks that might be more resistant, either kind of in the middle or up through the organization, kind of look at it and go, well, shit, something good's happening. Like, mm. I don't, I don't know what to, what to make of that. And then it kind of grows a little bit more and they're like, well, we're going to have to do something like they're, they're yeah. doing something right. So you eventually start to convince them. I think sometimes just through progress, yeah, well, yeah, you just got to do a bit anyway, and then they'll see stuff changing. They'll see people responding to you differently. They'll see people getting a bit more engaged. And it's even something as simple as like changing your language. Do an audit of the language that you use and start mm. switching out words. Um, and like, I remember the time I had been using the phrase setting people up for success for about four or five months. And then I overheard the director saying it to someone else and I did a fucking jig. I was like, yes. And like, and the other thing is like, bring your bar way down of what a win is. Like, and if you have a to-do list, for God's sake, take this off the top of it because this was always at the top of my, like every Monday, change the culture. It's like, Jesus Christ, Lisa, it's going to be a big week, isn't it? Like, (laughs) so just try make it like try make it achievable but um also start to recognize where the wins are and it is like oh one of the foremen just picked up the phone and called me about something a guy who usually wouldn't huge win um oh i just heard the director using this phrase that he never normally would have used huge win um those kind of things oh i just heard that one of the other directors was out on site and actually asked the question about safety and phrased it in a way that he never normally would. That's massive. Like, and those massive. aren't, they're not measurable and that's not in a spreadsheet somewhere, but it's, it's felt, that's, it's, you feel it changing. 
so that's what I would say is it's around the language and what you can, and it's even, I would say, create yourself a list of like really smashy questions, like really good ones, and just start using them. So it's like, oh, I'm going out to do a toolbox talk, or oh, I'm going reviewing whatever forms with the guys on site, and just start asking these questions. And also, I'm just like, no, I'm like, oh, now I've loads of ideas. But learn, <laughs> fuck me, learn to hold a silence. Ask a question, and then shut your damn mouth. Stop talking. Yeah. Like, because yeah. eventually somebody's going to start talking, they'll fill the silence. And I find that really hard to do. Every day I'm like, oh. mm. But oh, you get so much gold if you can do it. You really do, and I've noticed that. And, and so, I don't, I don't know if you guys experienced this, but um, in a lot of the, the places where I'm at and kind of helping with learning teams and stuff like that, and uh, there's all kinds of different personalities that you kind of interact with. But the one that always kind of gives me a kick is this one that's like, it's always like the person in the back, in the corner, that's kind of like leaned way back in the chair and like, uh, like arms crossed. And if they're, if, like a, if they're like a real badass, they got on sunglasses too. Yeah, you know? and their hood is up. And they're just kind of sitting back there and they're not saying anything. And if you can hold out, I love that advice because if, if you can wait them out, whatever they say is usually really important. Yeah. <laughs> they're the person that says absolutely nothing until what they say like breaks everything else. <laughs> like, yeah, they're gonna definitely. Tell you they do just like mic drop. That they can share with you, yeah. No, I think, I think that's, that's such a... Uh, such a good takeaway you know for folks out there that are kind of starting on this journey because or maybe in somewhere in that process and kind of early kind of onset of maybe trying to do safety a little bit differently within their organization is that you know it, it is hard to go and convince a room full of executives in particular mm. you know that like I don't have a plan for you I need you to trust me yeah and it's going to be squishy like I don't I'm not going to be able to give you a spreadsheet that shows you where we're at like, that's not going to work. Um, in fact, your normal metrics that you use, they're probably going to get worse. Yeah. Worse, back to air quotes, worse in how you view them right now. You're going to have mm. more first aids. You're probably going to have more events. You're going to have more close call because people are telling you more stuff. But you're going to see a spike. Like, things are going to, on paper, yeah. to you, get worse. That's a positive indicator. To turn around and then sell that as a positive indicator, mm. and be like, that means people are telling you more. Right? That means people are trusting you more. Don't look at that as scary. To your point on the words, like the language that we use, I, th I've, I think that to me personally, that's like the biggest one. Because I know, even <laughs> just when I first started in safety, especially before I even found this kind of wonky stuff, um, I was waiting for like this big sweeping change. Like, like this overnight success type of thing. You know, young, <laughs> dumb, naive kind of thing. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to do this really hard and then everything's going to be cool. <laughs> Like it's going to be awesome. And then like, I'm going to walk do it into until work one day done. and it's going to be like, there's going to be like balloons and confetti and like, <laughs> we're just going to be safe. Like it's going to, it's going to be really great. Um, my own little party in my mind. Right. Uh, and then, so what I started to pick up on was very similar to what you were saying is this idea of, um, as you kind of listen to what they're telling you, you're going to start to hear things like, yeah, that didn't suck. <laughs> yeah the positive huge positive win. or like i i i had done a present or like a, a training with some guys and they're like well shit that did not suck nearly as bad as what i thought it was going like those little things right yeah um the the one that always stuck out with me was this one it was like it i don't know what it is but things feel different yeah. like in a good way like they feel different like i don't know what, what you guys are doing but things feel kind of different 
And then that eventually kind of snowballs to this point um, where not that long ago, it's only been a couple months with this other organization where they were very, very zero driven, very honed in on OSHA recordables. Like you have an OSHA recordable, it's the end of the world. Mm -hmm. Like that's bad to where just within a couple of months, you start to hear the executive's language change. And like the person in this organization, like the top person sitting there on a call with all of their leadership and says, you know what? I don't really care about OSHA recordables anymore. Like I'll take a thousand of those as long as I don't kill somebody. Yeah. Like that's, that's where all that's, that language eventually that builds up to. Right. That's where it all eventually gets up to. So I, I think you're spot on with this idea of, of kind of listening, you know, listening for those signals of how our language is, is starting to change, looking and kind of flipping the script on like, well, people are reporting stuff. We have more events. Good. We have more to learn from mm -hmm. kind of switching how, how we view those things is huge to, to that, that yeah. journey. And also like, this is, because again, I've been where you've been, where it's like, oh, I'm going to smash this out. I'm going to do this so hard that it'll be done yeah, in two months. Just like, boom. It's like, yeah, okay, it. like this is, like you are playing the longest fucking game you have ever played. Like this is years of stuff. Like I was waiting for like six months to hear this one person say, repeat a phrase that I had used. But the other thing is, all of the things we've just described, you can do without ever telling someone, we're changing our strategy. Yeah safety differently, you don't have to scare the shit out of the board, you can literally just start using different language and asking better questions. And then all the change will start happening. And you'll actually have like built yourself a bit of political capital anyway, because people will be coming to you with stuff, They'll, the higher ups will, will recognize that. And then you have more credibility when you do decide to actually bring it up, that it's not just, well, I've no credibility and right. I sound fucking deranged. So Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, the, the the first the first time that you stand in front of that group of folks, uh, especially in before in, they've heard any of this, right? And you yeah. go, you know what? All accents are not preventable, <laughs> and their mind explodes. And they're like, "Who is this crazy safety like, person?" They've lost their mind. You? Because, yeah, or you get up there and you're like, you know that stupid pyramid on the wall? We need to tear that thing down. And they lose their shit, right? Mm. It's just they're oh my oh my god, like like arm growing out of your forehead kind of thing. Like, yeah. you have two heads. Like, what did you just say? Do you even care? Are you even really a safety person? You must You're be a, a bad safety person. Safety person. <laughs> You're a bad safety person. <laughs> but it is. <laughs> it's this really long, long process. Mm. And I think we, we hone in on those things. We're people. We want to see a result. And I think that's the hard part. In, yeah. Even in just like the general kind of world of a safety practitioner is a lot of time our result is, is invisible. Right, just anyways. Yeah. Right? Even in traditional senses, right? The stuff, the people that we help, the stuff that maybe we help kind of nudge along in the right direction, or maybe sometimes worse, right? Who knows? Um, <laughs> but a lot of that stuff that we do is, even in the traditional sense as a practitioner, is kind of squishy. It's hard to like put our result into like a spreadsheet and be like, here's a red box, a yellow box, and a green box. Here's what I did for the day. It's, it's super duper hard. So I think we probably understand that more than maybe those more metric number driven kind of professions because mm -hmm. uh, we're kind of outgrowing a lot of that at this point. But we, we, we want to touch what we can see, right? We yeah. see the poster, we see the procedure, we see the rules, like we see the artifacts that exist within our organization of those traditional assumptions to safety. So that's usually the first place we want to attack. Like we, we want to see that stuff change, right? We, we want to get rid of something. We want to stop doing mm. this. We want to, but I think your point is, is phenomenal. It's that, you know, how about let's not start there. 
because we have to go back deeper into why we believe these things. There's nothing that says you can't start having these conversations. There's nothing that says you can't start to change the language and then let that grow from there because that stuff will come later, right? Most of the organizations that I see like that go down this path, the folks that I spend time with that are doing this, they're like five or six years into their journey usually. Mm. And I'm just, that's, that's, that's not like a number. Don't, no one take that as a number. It can be 10. <laughs> By knows? five years, you'll be done. <laughs> God knows, right? <laughs> to, to avoid the timeline discussion, right? But it's much later. They find themselves and they're like, they're like in their office. They're like, why the fuck do we have that poster on the wall? Yeah. That's not who we are anymore. That's an indicator. And you see somebody walking over there tearing it down and going, ah, that stupid zero poster has been up there for 20 mm. years. And now we don't believe it anymore. It's not just me or you going and taking down the air count clocks, right? And the, yeah, the human the, performance yeah. clocks or the days since we last had somebody mm. hurt clocks or since somebody, one of those stupid people messed up clocks, you know, they start to take them down on their, on their own. Yeah. Back to the indicators that we kind of miss sometimes. Um, and like, and look, for even for like, for data, it's not that I am, like, and numbers and all that jazz. It's not all bad. Um, it's just what we do with it is bad. And I was speaking to um, a friend of mine, Crystal Danbury, about this the other day, and she loves, she's like, oh, I fucking love data. Give me all the data. But it's what she does with it. And it's the thing of, she's yeah. not data-driven, she's data-informed. And so, right. it's, so it's, you see something, it's like, oh, that's something to be curious about. I'm going to go look right. at that. I'm going to go speak to some people about that. You know? So yeah, we still need to know where the trends are, what's happening, what's going wrong what's going right all that kind of jazz but it's what we do with it and how we respond to it and not lose our fucking shit if a graph or a number goes in a certain direction right well we'll see something like one event is not a trend and in our safety world we've we viewed that as that like oh my god and, and or, well, we you get go. into this idea of like no it's fine we get into this thing where it's like you know um to your point we overreact about things and we we look at data as kind of this grand predictor of bad things to come and so much of where we're going right is letting go and understanding that your data around humans and that's really what we're talking about right complex socio-technical systems we're talking about safety stuff is it's always going to be way off the wall like who knows like yeah you might see like okay i have three observations observations have been a big one for a long time right there's three observations those three now equal my trend that people are not wearing gloves, we're going to cut off a finger. <laughs> it's this right? And so then we pour millions of dollars, right? Millions of dollars into this thing of like p- buying people pink high vis gloves and like putting up hand poster signs and or hand Jesus safety Christ. signs and hand safety training. And, and like, then somebody dies in an electrical contact. And we're like, well, why did that happen? I don't know. That, that makes no sense. <laughs> like, well, exactly. Exa- right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Some shit doesn't so really, make sense. I, I, Right, I, re- I really like that. That being data informed is is a great place to be. Mm. I think it's it's back to shifting the assumptions. Like I, like understanding our safety data um, doesn't give me predictive power though. It doesn't let me know where someone where our next significant event is going to occur. It do, it really doesn't let me know that. It doesn't let me kind of predict that Bob's going to die. You know, doing this. It doesn't let me predict that someone's going to cut an off, cut off an arm over here. It tells me, you know, it, it could, it could, in the right context, it might steer me in a direction mm, yeah. of going, well, yeah, maybe we should learn more about that. Right? Let's go ask those folks and let's talk to them, spend some time with them, maybe understand why we're seeing this 
this point in our data. Um, but I'm not going to give it more power than what it what it's due. And I think yeah. that's the, the interesting part that to me from what you just said is looking at it as information, just information. It's all it is. It's just information and not giving it any power kind of beyond just it being just information. It's just information. It's kind of like food, yeah. okay? It doesn't hold right. moral value. It's not fucking right. good or bad. Right. You just, you need it. You use it know. for what you need. I don't know about that. There's right, some food look, that is pretty, pretty no, bad and pretty great. So it, <laughs> that's a, look, that's a whole other, let's not get into fucking diet culture and all that shit because I'd be here for, you are not your weight, people, you know. <laughs> No, so I think she I says think that she swigs on a beer. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm recovering from last night, so I'm, oh, well, I'm drinking my. What time is it my, there, actually? My, my fizzy tea. It's uh, it's like my, my clock's wrong. It's twelve thirty-seven. Oh, it's eight thirty-seven here. Yeah. Oh. So yeah, we had a, uh, a little event last night. I had to go to a grand opening, so you, there was an open bar. You can imagine how that went. Completely free. I can. And amazing free food. And uh, yeah, it got a little little wild. <laughs> knew the uh, knew the people doing the uh, doing the chef in there, so hanging out in the kitchen afterwards with all the vodka, and it got real real uh, real fun real fast. <laughs> and all the leftover food, it was it was pretty wild. <laughs> but I think I think this kind of this kind of this data conversation is important because that's a hard part for organizations to to grapple mm. with. Um, it's, I'm not going to say it's all our fault, but we did it. And what I mean by we oh, is the like, profession. Yeah, we did. We, like did. we pounded in them this we idea did. of like, if you hit those magic numbers, you, you hit those magic numbers. And we pounded in them for a really long time that the importance of TRR or recordable injury mm-hmm. rates or all these different things of like, you've got to get that lower because if we're having more recordables, it means we're closer to cata- cata- yeah. catastrophe. We're closer to fatalities. We're, we're closer to the, the really horrific things. And so we taught them that as a profession, right? As a profession, uh, you and I probably not so much. I did a little bit early on in my career and have yep. worked feverishly to try to undo. I was like, it's <laughs> we, but like, it's not me. But we, we. <laughs> <laughs> but getting them to let go of some of that is, is a huge challenge. And mm. to me, it's, it's the power in it, though, is that it really influences how they react to events. Right. Yeah. When they're looking at that and they have say, I had a bee sting and it became a recordable, it's horrible. This is bad. They react from that position. Then mm. they're going, This is bad. Like we're one step closer to killing somebody. We over we overreact as organizations and we're pouring out all this information. We're we're on location shooting a video about Bob how Bob got stung by a bee and how you cannot get stung by bees at work and how it can especially not become a recordable. Um, and it's just wasted time. Yeah. It's just wasted energy. And all the folks on the front line are going, what a bunch of fucking idiots. No, oh, it's so embarrassing. <laughs> I'm embarrassed for us all. We're losing, we're, oh. we're losing their trust. We're losing their respect. And we're, we're losing all of those things that are powerful to our you know, influence as organizations that we need, right? Of them going, well, okay, they're not crazy. Mm. That's, that's a good starting point. Like, they're not insane. <laughs> like they're, yeah. they're not overreacting over the bee sting. That stuff goes goes a little ways you know you gotta have that street cred you know you gotta have that street cred with the folks that actually get shit done and if we're spending our time telling them that 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 be uh, every bee sting is preventable they're again they're just gonna tell us that we're full of shit (laughs) and we are (laughs) we totally are we totally are that's a good example with the bee sting yeah that's just that's a lived one so that's the one that stands out to me quite a bit oh wow that's actually old shit that's a lived one 
toolbox talks yeah, on bee stings that's, that's, and that's a lived one of being and, on a root cause analysis for yeah but like does anyone care about the bee? The bee fucking died. They die when they sting, well, don't they? Right. Save the bees. Well, that, uh, that's where I got. Uh, like, I, I, I don't know if that one, I don't know. That was probably the nearest I got to being shit canned <laughs> because the root cause for me ended up at God. Like, I don't know. Like, where else do you an go? An act of God. An act of God. I mean, do you, you want me to you could, you exterminate the bees in, from the planet? You could put them all in, in the beekeeper suits and you could have people smoking some stuff. Smoke the bees. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know. I, I think that's that's a again that da- that data piece is a huge one to get them to kind of move beyond, mm. move beyond the data. The data piece. I read something recently, and it was actually about like the validity of data. Not even just that most like a lot of companies are cooking the numbers or whatever, but like the actual formulas, like the formulas and the number of man hours, depending on the size of your organization, all this stuff, that a lot of it's just actual bullshit. Like, it's like, this, is, this isn't real. Like, right. formulas that are based on, that are meant for, like, populations, and where they're going, well, in my business of 120 staff now, my rate is, it's like, no, it's not meant for that. It was never meant for that. Right. So, well, I, I think that's that's been a lot of the a lot of the very helpful kind of stuff is, is a lot of the kind of research. It's kind of catching up mm. to that stuff, and that's the power of kind of all of our friends that we have in our space that are in the academic world. Is yeah. that that research is there, and that there's been a lot of research that's been there for a really long time that maybe we've ignored to try to cling to our more traditional approaches to maybe because we felt that they were a little easier to approach, a little more linear a little easier to stomach by the organization. But even, especially with this newer stuff, right, like with the statistical invalidity of TRR that kind of come out um, through Hallowell and uh, that whole, like, list of names that are on that paper for, I forget what that group is. It's like the construction risk something. Excellent read if folks out there have not read it. Um, But it basically tells you that if you're trending TRR, that it's not a good predictor of bad things to come. And, in fact, you're just usually trending not a lot of anything. (laughs) <laughs> it's just random it's not, variability. It's just and yeah, there's not going, enough of a sample size. And, like this is not real. Right. And and it, there's there just shows that there's no link between those two things either. And if you go back and listen to Todd had had him on the uh, Toddcast podcast pre-accident investigation thing, um, and listening to them chat about really that you're better off of flipping a coin, <laughs> like. Like, don't tell traditional organizations that because now they're going to give everybody the safety coins. You know, like, let's flip those enough and then we're, we're going to predict where, <laughs> where, I, like, where the next fatality the other, is going to occur. Like, the other thing is that, like, for the most part, it comes from a good place. And I think that's actually what's nearly so depressing about it is you've all, like, these execs and stuff going, oh, yeah, what do we need to do? Like, let's do all the things. And you're kind of, it's like mm-hmm. almost kicking a puppy that you're like, oh, no. By the way, like that's so nice that you want to yeah. and harness that, but all of the things that we've told you are bullshit. So sorry, no. And it's just yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you know, because well, we so, can definitely demonize. We can definitely be like, oh, they're fucking zero harm. Like they're not, they're not yeah. doing it to be assholes. It feels like it a lot of the times. So, okay, some of them are, but like the most people are not. Yeah, I, I, I think you're exactly right. I think that's that's super rare to find folks that are. Um, really doing it to be assholes. Like it's like very rare. It's super rare, right? Because all the executives that I work with, that they just want to do, they care. Yeah. They really care. Like they genuinely care. 
like when someone gets a bee sting in their organization, it really bothers them because they don't want to see someone get hurt. Hmm. And especially if they have something that's more catastrophic, like it really, they, they feel and it's where it should be, right? They, they know that they carry that weight on their shoulders. They yeah. understand that, 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 that it's just as if they were standing right there with that employee when it happened. Right. And, and speaking of kind of the more negative things, mm. but all of those programs, all of those things that they kind of have brought to life in their organizations or their responses to things, it always starts. I, I will give them completely the benefit of the doubt and just say that it always starts from a good place. It always starts yeah. from a place of like, I, I want to, I, 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 I care. I genuinely care. I love these people. I genuinely love these people, and I don't want bad things to happen to them. Now, the downside of that is, and the example that I usually give, is it's kind of like when you give like a, a kid a bunny rabbit, right, and they squeeze it so hard they pop its eyeballs out, right? <laughs> it's kind of that. They, they literally love it to death, right? They're like, my bunny, I love it, and squeeze it, and it's so great. And then next thing you know, the bunny's not breathing, and it's, right, it's that whole thing, right? They love it so much that they love it to death sometimes, and there's this idea that, you do, right? You, you, like you said, it's like, you're going to pump me sometimes. You're like, no, that's not a great idea. But they need to create that environment, right, to where folks like you, me, whoever's around them, their front line, whoever in the organization can tell them those things, the brutal honest, honesty points yeah. where it's like, listen, I know you think this is going to be good, mm. but here's the problem with it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know that you think yelling and shouting shows that you're passionate. Yeah, but it just makes people afraid of you and not want to work here, mm. <laughs> like you know those kind of things. Yeah, and like I will say, any experience that I've had approaching um, leadership about this kind of stuff, I've been very lucky in that they've all actually been really fucking nice people, um, mm -hmm. and in, and definitely in smaller organisations, in like small to mediums where you've got like you know between eighty or one hundred and fifty staff or whatever, this stuff is is actually much easier because you have direct access to the leadership in a very uh, almost informal way. Um, so I haven't had to go in and, and challenge like a board of execs right. who would absolutely tear the fucking head off <laughs> if you said this stuff. Right. So um, there, I suppose there's a bit more context in my experience of it there as well, that it's been with people that I felt really safe that I could go and challenge them on it. So. Yeah. Yeah, I've generally found that that to, that to be kind of kind of true as well. There's like, I think, throughout the organization, and I always just use this example of like, and I hate saying the bottom and top of the organization, but in the hierarchy of things, right? In the hierarchy, yeah. That from 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 the from the pointiest end of the organization, they look up that golden tower of whatever the organization is, right? And they think these executives are just like up there, feet on the desk, sipping scotch. Playing, playing, uh, you know, like the like everything you'd imagine an executive from like the '80s in a movie being, right? Yeah. Of like a like putting into like a, a cup in their office, like doing nothing, <laughs> just hanging out with each other, you know, like that kind of stuff. And then from the executive's point of view, they look down through the organization. A lot of them look down and go, "Well, these people, you know, they view sometimes." I, and I'm not saying all, but it's a good chunk. They're like, "Well, these people must not care. They're not caring. They don't care about the company as much as I do. They're mm -hmm. out to get something over on the company." You know, and on and on and on and on and on, kind of that that normal kind of views. And when you connect those two together, and they start to realize that like they're really not very different, right? They're they're they, they, and they view people. each other in right. They're just people, and they view each other in such a wacky way. And then they both feel like dumbasses because they're like, well, this guy's not up there just you know playing putt putt in his office and 
getting hammered all day. And, and then they're like, well, that person's not lazy at all. Like, and they work their ass off for this company and all this other kind of stuff that we make life much harder for them. And you connect those two together. And through that kind of conversation, you really start to promote that trust right there. Mm. You start to realize that it's like, okay, we're not very different at all. Like at all. I mean, there's really not much other than just position in the organization. We want the same things yeah. out of work, out of life, out of people aren't all that different. <laughs> so I think there's, there's a lot of power in kind of connecting those two there. And I've done that quite a bit of either capturing voices of executives and frontline employees and then kind of cross pollinating those mm-hmm. or actually physically putting them together as a starting point for maybe some of these discussions because the executive always thinks everything's fine. Yeah. And the employee always thinks that the organization is crumbling. And the answer is probably somewhere in between. Yeah. Right. It's on fire. No, everything's perfect. It's, and when, yeah. you, <laughs> when you can get those voices, when you get them, those voices to cross through those barriers that exist within the organization and share them with those. And if you can put them in the room together, like do it, you know, but that was, that's a lot of what, what, uh, I've personally used in organizations to kind of get executives to kind of start down that different path is that they believe that those things that they've been doing are good mm-hmm. because they know that they feel good and that they know that they're coming from a good place. But when you go down into the organization and you capture all those stories and you capture all that kind of general input about their feelings about safety and kind of the way things are done, and then you share that with those executives, their minds are typically blown. Mm. Oh, yeah. Right? They're, they're, they're like, I did not know that this is how people felt. Yeah. And like, now you do. Now, now what are we going to do? So I, where I was going with all that is kind of back, back to this point of like when you're when you're dealing with, you know, trying to roll something out that is new and unknown and really scary. I mean, that's that's why it's hard for those mm. folks, because it's kind of scary. Um, letting them know that there's actually a reason, right, that that we want to go in this direction, that things aren't things aren't just fine and dandy. Like there's there's there, we, we've got some skeletons. We've got some scars and even worse yet, we have scar tissue you know, that's developed in our organization that's probably never going to go away. And this, here's a better way to maybe approach some of those things. And I, I think those conversations help a ton in moving in that direction. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, I'd agree. It's that creating connection and understanding. And I heard this thing the other week. Um, it was actually on an economics podcast, I think. But it was how uh, distance anesthetizes context and it is that thing of the further away you are from something you just you you lose the understanding you become numb to it and you just you're full of assumptions and yeah it is that kind of glass shatter moment where you're like oh shit that's not what i thought was going on at all yeah yeah Um, you're you're flattening out kind of the organization through having those conversations i had done this kind of um this learning teams thing with a, a group of supervisors and I'm not sure if I'd do it the same way again because I definitely asked too broad of questions and it was like floodgates. It was like, oh shit. I was like, so what are the problems? And I was like, oh, <laughs> put it back in the box. There's too much. But had done these learning teams and it was like, um, and did it like without management there. So I'm like, okay, this is your own space. Let's gather all the data and I'm gonna anonymize it and take it back to the guys in head office and all the rest. And then ended up like delivering back this barrage of 
concerns and problems and all the yeah. rest. And it was like an hour-long presentation of me just going, and this is shit, and, and they think this is shit, and they want new cement mixers, and also they're wondering when somebody's going to die. Nobody's happy with the scaffold, guys. And it was just an hour of, and they were like, what? And I, it was not the right approach. I definitely learned yeah. from that. And um, it was really uncomfortable for me to be the messenger of so much bad news. And they were like, yeah. fuck, how do we fix this? I was like, ah, sorry, too much. So that's also another thing. Just be careful. <laughs> be careful. Yeah, when, you start, I, I, oh, yeah. like when you start pulling at that thread and go, this is a safe place. And next thing yeah. you go, oh, shit. You can't put think the toothpaste right? back in so, the tube. I think what... What, and back to this being very different for every organization, yeah. I think that's where um, I found in that kind of process of, and I'm a huge fan of listening sessions, of, of just just getting folks in a room and listening. I think that that's, that's a powerful thing. Now, you have to weed through some bullshit, obviously, yeah. right? If you get 100 voices out of those 100 voices, one or two is going to probably be insane. <laughs> There's always a good <laughs> chance, right? We're people. Back to us being people. Now, I'm not telling you to, to ignore people's concerns. But you know what I'm saying. You got to feel your yeah. way through that, and there's you certain things the you have to reach past. You got to reach past like a couple things and go. This is the one. Here's here's the here's this one's serious. Again, not saying to ignore everything else in between, but I think with like what you're saying, this idea of like what are the ten questions, five questions, whatever it is, that's really important to where you are at as an organization. What are the main listening points? What are the windows that you want to look through, and really hone that in. And then go out and have a physical conversation in a trusting way, as close, you know, closed door, you know, whatever, and anonymous, whatever, whatever works, and capture notes from those conversations based off of those main prompts. Mm. Because I, I've done the same thing that you've done, where it's like, tell me what's wrong. <laughs> and it's like early on, I'm like, what can we do to make safety better? Oh. And then the the only answer you'd get other than like I don't know, fire us the safety people. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, like wrong you answer. Might get one or two answers beyond <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like or you, you get the, back to the floodgates, right? You get you get the floodgates. So that's where I found that with kind of having um, a little bit more of a thought out kind of not a script, but just conversation starters. Mm -hmm. Right. Not not yes and no questions, just conversation starts, not surveys, not all the other kind of stuff that we tend to like to do, because it's easier. Right. It's a lot easier to send the email survey out to your employees yeah. and say, hey, how do you feel about this? But being able to sit down in the room across in small groups with people and targeting a certain percentage of your workforce population and be like, you know, what's the thing that we do really good? Mm. what's the stupidest thing that we make you do every day? The one thing, like what's the dumbest thing out of, your, out of your day? What's the dumbest thing that the company makes you do every day that we should probably stop making you do? Something you do. <laughs> and I'm not, not saying that those are the questions you have to use, but you, you got to see where I'm going with that. It's like what I found with those folks is that they always start on the negative. They're going to vent to you first. Yeah. And then you're going to get to the end of that. And they're going to, your, your, your positive list is going to typically be almost as, as dense as your, your, your negative list. And so you find those kind of top two or three things on each side of like, here's the stuff we need to stop doing. Yeah. <laughs> Here are the three bright spots that we really need to, we're good at and we need to make great. And you, those, those, those things are so much easier to carry forward to those or up through the organization to those executives be like, here's the, th let me start with the good stuff. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, let, yeah. Let me start with like they said that they really, really like the fact that uh, you know I don't. We buy pizza on Tuesdays. Let's do steaks. I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. But mm. you get where you get where I'm going. Yeah. It's just this idea of like you can carry. There's always positive stuff in the organization, even in the most awful organization. There are some bright spots. Yeah. And but I think to even, me, there's a lot of power in growing those bright spots too. Yeah. So I think some of the some of the positives that I had got out of those sessions were like the most important to them. But they were like, oh, well, I'm really good friends with my team and we have a really good laugh on our break. And you're like, love yeah. it. Great. Like, that's fucking brilliant. Like, they're like, oh, yeah, I love yeah. coming to work because we have so much fun. I'm like, take that back to the executive. And they're like, oh, like, that warms my heart to hear that. I'm so, I like, love it. I was like, yeah, but they still want new cement mixers because the ones they have are shit. But, <laughs> you know. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not laughing their way through their job sucking. Yeah, no, they're or, not. They're like, yeah, they're, you still, still got to like, counter that. <laughs> Generally, the mood is good, but we've got some shit to sort out. So, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I think I think those squishier indicators are good. And so getting those, back to our, our data conversation, I think getting those executives or those leaders in your organization, I think the executives are probably the easier part. It's the middle, usually, that's harder. To, that's the challenges I help organizations through more than anything mm, else. Is how do yeah, you get those folks that are stuck in the middle that are really concerned with the politics of everything, that are really concerned with the images of their personal, the, the way the organization views them. Because, mm. and, and they're really in the shittiest position in the organization yeah. As, yeah. as a mid-level senior person because you have to make those people up there happy and you got to make those people down there happy. They're You're the stuck in the world. You've, you've got people by, people have you by both arms, both legs. Right? Yeah. <laughs> You're stuck in the middle. And how do, you, how do you get those folks in particular to kind of let go of this idea that everything's black and white, that everything can be put into a spreadsheet, that everything's red boxes, yellow boxes, green boxes, and start to understand that the squishier stuff is a lot of times more powerful to you, mm. especially in direction. Like when someone's bringing you that information or you're going out and doing those listening sessions, even as a middle manager, director, leader, ops, something, you know, going out and having that conversation and really, really listening. Mm. That's going to tell you so much more powerful stuff than what that spreadsheet yeah, or that it, chart would ever and tell it won't you anyway. necessarily, And it won't necessarily be, and be ready for this. If you ask the question of what do we make you do that's really shit or what, what's really good, that might, the, the answer might not be related to safety. No. And, and, and you still like, need to lean into that and just allow them. And, and if you have any leverage at all with somebody, if it's like, if they're like fucking HR in this form, you better run to HR and be like, we need to sort this out. <laughs> so <laughs> like, you're like anywhere you can gain a bit of, a bit of fucking goodwill, do it. Um, but yeah, just, I suppose, be aware that it's not just all about safety. If it's about improving processes and improving people's work, that's what it's like. Yeah, it's, just, just, it's just making work easier and better. And especially for those middle managers, if you can take away any of their pain points, you will win them. Like they will, they'll be so grateful that they were like, oh yeah, right, let's, let's look at maybe yeah. some safety stuff. Well, exactly. And I think those, those for me, I li I've always liked this saying that pain points are starting points. Yes. Right. Like, like if something, if something's painful, there's a reason. And you should really dig into it. You know, mm. the, the way that I've heard that described is kind of like, uh, uh, I don't forget where I heard that initially. Oh, right that Not my quote. So I stole that from somewhere. <laughs> I heard it somewhere. I don't, it wasn't even work or safety related kind of stuff. The, the conversation is that they were, they were having a conversation around like pain points, weak points, kind of in and around like muscles and stuff, right? So mm. we're, we're talking like powerlifting stuff. It's like a powerlifting podcast, something I was listening to. 
And they're talking about like, yeah, you know, like when you get like a knot, like, and you, you know, you're on a foam roller or something, or you're using like that cool, like percussion gun or whatever. It's like, when it hurts, you should do it 10 times harder. Yeah. Like that, like, like, like that knot, like the way you get rid of that knot is by really digging into it. Don't mm. ignore it. It's like the pain point is a starting point. And that kind of stuck with me. I'm like, holy shit, that works really good <laughs> in what we're talking about. It really is, right? Pain points tell yeah. you that there's something beneath the surface. Like there's rot that's usually buried somewhere yep. way down in that system. When people are telling you about stuff that they struggle with, that issue usually goes deep and wide. Right? Yeah, it's 100%. usually not just there on the surface when they're like, this is way harder than it should be. I don't know why you make me do this stupid thing. Mm. You know, it go deep. Yeah, that's, that's that's the time. That's the time to go deep. That's the indicator, even if it's not safety. I really appreciate that that you saying that because so many times I think we get too pigeonholed into this idea that it's got to be like direct safety related stuff. Everything influences everything. It like right? it's so, just about better work. Just get the word work, safety right? out of your mouth. Like just stop using exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's just about making work not suck. Work shouldn't suck. Work should not right. suck. It takes up so much time. Work, I won't work to work, be fucking class. Right. If you're doing something, and especially, like you said, that, that employees, like, they make me do, like, 14 extra steps, and this is horrible, and fix that. Yeah. You, you, you want to buy street cred, right? There's your point to buy street cred and fix something and usually make things 10 times more efficient and save you money and usually make it safer, too. Like, that's that's the spot right there. That that's where it. you start. Well, cool. So I've, we've been going for, like, an hour. We've been, we've been rocking and rolling. Yeah, we've been like rocking and we rolling. We did so good. So I've got like this. I've got like this uh, question. I always, I always ask people my infamous kind of questions. Like, and I don't know how it always come out. Kind of came out like this, but it's any final words, <laughs> anything, anything that you would like to share with other safety folks, nerds, hot practitioners, organizations, whatever, anything. Anything that you would like to share with them to help them along kind of on their journey or just any, any words of wisdom that you would like to kind of get out there into, into their, their heads. Christ, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, full words command of, of their ear holes uh, right now. <laughs> in your ear holes, guys. Um, <laughs> I think I would say that um, I worked with a safety professional before who used to come into work every day like she was going to fucking war and that is a hard road and it can really take its toll um, so back to that point of making work better all of these things actually will make your work so much more enjoyable and then you'll be nicer to be around <laughs> at work and outside of work um, so lean into that that's, that's what I would say is lean into it because once you kind of get a groove with this stuff, it does feel kind of um, infinite of all the things you could do. And yeah, like that, yeah. if, you're, if you're going into a starting point and you don't really know, and you want to just start trying stuff out, like a lot of times just framing it in a certain way of like, you're in ninja mode. You don't need to be telling people what you're doing. You're just asking different questions or whatever. Whatever you need to do to make it feel fun for you, just, I'm in ninja mode for the week. Got your little plans, you're doing your little things. Just, yeah, have fun with it.